A lot of things going on at uh, DCC. I want to call your attention to the bulletin board inside the bulletin. Um, you can read the details, but as I mentioned, we have an inquirer's class right afterward. If you're interested in how the church works or membership, there's no commitment. Uh, we provide lunch, and we just talk through how the church is organized. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do it the way we do it? We are a community church, and that makes us a little unique. I was asked at one point in one of the classes, what does it mean to be a community church? And so I went around to everybody, and I said, what's your background? And there were no two people from the same background. So we had people with Catholic background, people with Lutheran, people with Baptist, people with... And I said, what makes it a community church is really great, because if I say this, my Baptist friends are going to be a little upset with me. Next week when I say this, my Catholic friends are going to be a little upset with me. And next week when I say this, my Lutheran friends, that's what makes us a community church, and I love it. It's spectacular. I love the comments I get from you. So we're having one right after this back at the church building. So if you're interested, come. Rocky's Faith Day. Where's Ruth? How many do we have, Ruth? 102 people from our church going to Rocky's Faith Day. Get your tickets or you're going to be sad. We have a garage sale. You can see about that. Um, Christian education. We have theology of marriage. That's Actually, that's me. Wednesday nights. And then uh, we have a Sunday school class with Bill Spear right afterwards. We'll be sharing the commons. We have some small groups. You can see that. And then tonight is Pub Theology at Pug Ryan's. For those of you that have no idea what Pub Theology is, Nancy and I show up, and whoever wants to come, come. We get chicken wings and a dinner and something to eat, and whoever shows up, uh, you get to pick the topic. And uh, so we have anywhere from 6 to 15 often that come, and you're welcome to come. I never know what the topic is going to be. We've covered the gamut, and uh, we've been doing this for quite a while. So you're welcome to come tonight at 5.30. I think that's all. You can read the rest of the details in there. Okay. This summer, we are working on um, focusing on God. We took one summer and focused on Jesus. We took one and focused on the Spirit. And now this summer, we're focusing on the Father, but the Father reveals himself in the Old Testament as God. And uh, we called it an engaging God because in today's world, we often think of God as not very engaged in our world. When we think about how he interacts with us, most of us, most Christians, uh, and most non-Christians, those who don't believe in the Christian faith, they don't have that same perspective that God, or really any perspective that God is present. One of the things I regularly hear as a pastor is, where's God? Where is he? And that's an important part of the Christian journey. I, uh, I think that God often just gets real quiet so that you get a chance to decide what you really believe. I've used the, the metaphor, the picture of a, of a parent with a two-year-old. Sometimes you have a corner and you're standing around the corner and you're watching your two-year-old. They're not aware that you're there and you're letting them be themselves. And you're letting them learn, perhaps, how to toddle or how to walk. You do that with teenagers. And God does that often. It doesn't mean he's not there. He's still very engaged. Perhaps that's what Jesus meant. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? And there are some times, there are some days when you have to handle life and you don't feel that sense, that presence that you long for. There's nothing wrong with that. That's God doing his thing. That's God giving you some space to see what you're going to do with it, how you're going to respond. So today we're going to look in Exodus 3. Uh, 
God is a very personal God. How many of you have walked up to somebody and you enter, you stuck out your hand, you say, hi, I'm so-and-so, and they say, hi, but they don't tell you their name. How many of you have experienced that? Let me see. Hopefully all of you. <laughs> or it's a bad example. No, no, you've all done that, right? Do you feel connected to that person when they don't tell you their name? You walk up and you say, hi, I'm Jim. Oh, hi. And that's it. And your next question is either, so what's your name, which you really don't want to ask, or you, you find some other question to ask. One of the ways that we immediately connect in a relationship is by offering our name to each other, right? Hi, I'm Jim. Oh, hi, I'm Susan. It's great to meet you, Susan. And uh, I've been in that situation many times as a pastor. I think people, maybe they're nervous about me being a pastor. I don't know. Hi, I'm Jim. So are you going to tell me your name or what? I don't say it quite that way. <laughs> That's what's going on behind the eyeballs. <laughs> Names are very, very important. They're very important. When you look in the Old Testament and the scriptures, uh, the uh, Old Testament, they, the names, they communicate things much more than they do in our culture. Names today, most people aren't aware of, of where their name came from or what it means, but that's not true in the world of Israel. In fact, there are several stories, Ruth is one of them, where the names actually carry the theology of it because of what they mean. So people would name their children things that meant something to them. They had a meaning behind it. It's kind of funny when uh, my firstborn, who's now 34, when he was born, uh, uh, my first wife, visitors, what that means is my first wife died, and, um, but she was still alive at that point because we had a firstborn child. <laughs> we were in the hospital, and, uh, and we decided not to name him right away because we didn't know him. And so we didn't name him. And we just kind of played with him and watched him for a couple of days. And finally the hospital said, you know, you, you got to give him a name. I don't think you want baby Howard on the birth certificate. And we just thought about it for a while and looked at him and said, what do we name our son? And uh, we want to know him a little bit. Names are important. So now we're going to jump back into Exodus. And here's where we are. Roughly 1500 B.C., give or take 50 years, 100 years, somewhere in there. The Israelites, they are now in uh, slavery in Egypt. It's been at least 400 years, 450 years, something like that, since they went down there as a small family under Jacob. Now they're slaves. They've been working really hard, really, really hard. That's what slaves do, really hard. And um, they hadn't, as far as we know from the record, hadn't heard from God during that time. There's no record that they, were, uh, that they were having this conversation. I suspect that the story about God was a long time in the past. It had been passed down from generation to generation about the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they hadn't seen or heard from him. And so God decides in his timing, he uh, finds Moses and he said, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of slavery. And uh, Moses isn't particularly pleased with that. Um, he had been part of Pharaoh's household and Pharaoh's court. And um, he had been chased out of Egypt uh, 40 years before. And, uh, and God says, now I want you to go back. But you don't understand, Lord. <laughs> That's not a good thing. And God said, no, it is a good thing. So 
you, there's a story of, God, of Moses raising his objections and God overcoming them. And we're going to look at one of those objections in just a moment, a question. It's in Exodus 3. Exodus 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the earth, suppose, I love that language, we've heard that before, haven't we? Just for the sake of argument, let's say I do this. <laughs> I think a lot of you find yourself in that place, don't you? Just for the sake of argument, God, let's say I choose to do this. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, and what shall I tell him? What should I tell them? It's a profound question. It's a very significant question because none of the gods of any of the nations ever told them their names. They had to figure it out. So they're always trying to figure out not only who is this God, what is his name, but what is this, or he or she, what is this God expecting of us? They had a very different view of God than we do as Christians. The gods were really to be appeased. They weren't even to be emulated. The gods weren't an example. They weren't even an example for them of how to live lives. Their, their function, the gods' functions, were to keep the earth running. Our job is to keep them happy. That's the way they thought of it. So they worked like crazy. If you read some of the ancient texts on how to divine the gods, they, uh, the nations had different policies and rules and procedures to figuring out the will of God. Some of you have heard me tell the story in Madurai, India, in the Hindu temple, there's two huge stone concrete elephants, and, um, and you go and you, and you pay money, which I think is interesting to discern what God wants, and you buy these little uh, one-inch pallets of balls of butter, and you throw it at the God, and if it sticks to the elephant, then you have a year where the God's not going to be angry with you. And if it falls off, he's going to be angry. If it were me, I would be caref careful which season of the year I would go <laughs> to throw it. But we kind of laugh at that because it's so foreign to us. But for people that grow up in this environment, this is real life to them. This is how they think about it. And so Moses is asking a very legitimate question. They're going to ask me, what is your name? What am I supposed to tell them? So God says to Moses in verse 14, very famous verse, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Our God's name is I am. He gave us his name. And every time in your Old Testament Bible you see the word Lord, where it's all capitalized, L-O-R-D, all caps, that's his name. So if you want to have fun when you read some of your Old Testament, if you see the caps, L-O-R-D, that's the name of the one true living God. If it's not capitalized, then we're talking about a title, like Sir. And that's how sometimes we address him. So you can get a glimpse of how personal God is by looking at when his name is used. And his name is very important. My name is important to me. I know your name is important to you. One of the things that embarrasses me the most is when I get your name wrong. I try really hard to get your name right, and sometimes I don't, and I apologize for that. If I get it wrong right in front of you, I always apologize right then on the spot because your name is important. Your name is part of your identity. It's part of the way we connect is via name, and it's part of the way we build some personal 
dynamics into our relationship by knowing each other's names. Can you imagine having a, being married your whole life and your, your spouse never calls you by name? How awkward that would be? We're made to hear our names. Or your children. You welcome your children. You bring them in and you call them by name. That's what we do. So this is, a, this is very significant in our theology that God would tell us his name. He wants to be known. Just like when I tell you my name, I want to be known. When you tell me your name, you want to be known. God wants to be known. So Moses asks a profound question, and we have his name. Tell them, tell the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. It's kind of an odd name. I am. I am what? We never use that word without something else. I am. I tell people often I'm good looking, for example. Okay? Good, I woke some of you up. (laughs) I am. I am what? I think the rest of the Bible begins to fill that out, what I am is. I am everything that you need. I want to be known. I want to be involved in your life. I want to be engaged in everything that goes on with you, even if I'm silent. Silence does not mean he is not present or engaged. He absolutely is all the time. What did Jesus say? I will never, what? Leave you or forsake you. Right. There is no second in your life that God is not engaged. He may be silent. And I know for some of you, even right now, he's silent. I know, I get that. I've had coffee with you. I get that. Be patient. Just be patient. He's just around the corner watching, I think with a smile on his face. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, and here it's all capitalized, so this is that name for this one true living God, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So we have continuity. This God has been involved all along. He's been engaged. He's going back to the very beginning when we ended up in Egypt and said, I didn't go anywhere. I've been here all along. And this is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I love that. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so he repeats it, appeared to me. That language is wonderful. He appeared to me. So Moses can say legitimately, I have seen the Lord. Now, the whole beginning to the story is as Moses is walking through the desert, we'll look at it, and he looks over and sees a bush that's burning, but it doesn't burn up. That's the beginning of it. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it didn't burn up. I think we probably all stop. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord, there's that all caps again, this one true God, saw that he had gone over to look, he called out to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Okay, so when he says, say to them, God's telling Moses that the Lord appeared to me. We're not talking about some mystical experience, are we? 
That's not the way God operates. It's not a mystical experience. God is actually engaged in everything that you do. Some of us have to go by faith. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. Some of us. But you know what the disciples' message was all the way through Acts? We have seen the risen Lord. We don't care what you say. You can't take that away from us. And where do they record that witness? Here. This is their story. Some of you have experienced God in very real ways. Others of you haven't. Some of you have seen the Lord work in very tangible ways. Some of you have heard from the Lord in very real ways. I don't deny that. I love the stories of listening. I travel all around the world and teach, and I hear a variety of stories from from the places I go, how God speaks and how God communicates. See, here's what happens. He knows each of you well, and he knows what it's going to take to grow your faith, and that's really what he's interested in is growing your faith. So some of you have seen him at work, and some of you wonder, when am I going to see him at work? Be patient. Just be patient. I can tell you God is very, very engaged. So what does he do? What does this God do? What does this I am mean? We back up just a little bit. We're still in chapter 3. Verse 5, God says, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. By the way, that's why I wear sandals. You know, just to be an example of what godliness looks like. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Mark? <laughs> then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this time, Moses hid his face. Why? Because he was afraid. He was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, and here's an interesting passage, and we're going to look at it. We're going to look at this in more detail next week, actually. I have indeed seen the misery of my people. Now, folks, remember, it's been 450 years. That doesn't mean much to God. Your urgency doesn't mean much to Him. 450 years. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. We're beginning to learn just a little bit about what this God is like. I am concerned. God is very concerned when you enter a period of suffering. Every one of you, he's concerned. That bothers him a lot. So I have come down to rescue them. There's that word, rescue. We call it save, but in our churches today, salvation has become such a small word. We usually equate it with eternal life. It's far bigger than that. It's far bigger. This word rescue or save is huge. I have come down to rescue you from the hand of the Egyptians. This is some, this is some esoteric, mystical experience. This is a God who is engaging himself with someone who's in trouble. Someone who's in trouble. Some of you may... I love the analogy when we were at Patrick Mahaney Memorial Service a week ago... Father Michael Glenn from the Catholic Church led the service, and during the eulogy, he got up there and he said, uh, I was brilliant, just brilliant. He got up there and he said, many of you out here are first responders. Somebody has gotten themselves in trouble and they need your help, and you're willing to put your life on the line to help them if that's what it takes. That's what Jesus did. What a clear presentation of the message of Jesus. 
I have come down to rescue you from the hand of the Egyptians. That's what God does. That's what he does. Now, he doesn't do it as soon as you get in trouble. For many of you, does he? It's not like the first thing he does. He sometimes is patient just to see how you respond. Once again, you got the parent around the corner watching the two-year-old, taking a look. Doesn't run to rescue them the first time they fall down or the second time, but eventually you go help them. That's the God that we serve. That's the God we serve. He engages. He moves into your life in a very personal way to strengthen your faith and to help you when you're in trouble. I also came down, I, will, uh, I came down to bring them out of that land where the slavery was going on, okay, into a good and spacious land, a land, land flowing with milk and honey. This is talking about blessing. When the period of, of testing of your faith, strengthening your faith, think of it that way, when that period is over, then God leads you into a time of blessing. You know, so I, I have lived long enough life now to begin to see the cycles from the Lord. <clears throat> I go through a period where my faith is being tested, often in uncomfortable ways. Uh, it's different each time. You know, I mentioned to you my first wife died. That was a test. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. By the way, thank you for the feedback on that. Several of you sent me emails and texts and talked about it. That was a test. Then when I come out of that, I go through a period where I get a chance to just breathe and enjoy life in the Lord's presence. That's what happens. Now, it's very easy to form this opinion. If you're not careful, when's the other shoe going to drop? Right? That's the cynic in us, isn't it? How many of you have had that thought with God? Ah, yeah, there go the hands. When's the other shoe going to drop? What happens if you think about it in the reverse? God is giving me a time of rest when is he going to take my faith to a new level? What if you thought about it that way? The shoe is going to drop. <laughs> That's the God that we serve, just like you do with your children. When it comes time to help your children move to the next level of maturity, you step into their lives, don't you? So ask the question, huh, I'm enjoying this space. Thanks, God, for some break, for peace. I wonder what it's going to look like when he takes me to the next place to take my faith to a new level. <laughs> what does that look like? What is his name? I am. I am all that you need. The rest of the Bible answers the question in my mind, he is what? He is our provider. He is our protector. He is our sovereign one who watches over us. He is the one who takes care of us. He is the one who takes our faith to a new level from time to time. We call that testing our faith so it'll strengthen. He's the one who protects us. He's the one who blesses us. He is very engaged in all that he's doing in your life, even if you can't hear it. Sometimes he's silent. That's okay. Father, we are grateful to be called your children. We are grateful, Lord, that you are a personal God, the one true living God who desires to be known. You created us, who desires to bless us, but yet at the same time desires to help us grow in our faith. Lord, we so enjoy the times of rest that give me a glimpse of what I'm created for. 
But I also know enough, Lord, to know that as you take me in through a period where you might stretch my faith, your grace will be sufficient to help me with that. And Father, I pray for my brother and sister sitting right here. Um, Some of them are experiencing that season of rest right now and blessing, and I rejoice with them, Lord, because of what you're doing in their life. But I pray for those, Lord, that are sitting right here that are in that season where uh, you're taking their faith to a new level. It feels like testing gets hard. Father, some of them have gone through such difficult things. I know I'm listening to them. Please be merciful. Please be compassionate and gracious with them. And Father, for those that are sitting here right now that don't really know what they think about you or Jesus, just pray that you just continue to walk the road with them. Uh, I have confidence in you that you'll help them figure it out. Lord, we turn to you in faith because we believe that you are engaged with us and that you're very personal in our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen.